The Arabs were the first Muslims to invade India, but their conquests in India were confined to Sindh and Multan. It was left to the Turks to complete the work begun by the Arabs. The Turks, however, did not invade solely with the object of spreading Islam in India. They wanted to loot India as well. The Ghaznavids Samanid dynasty was one of the Persian families that had risen to power with the breakup of the Islamic empire in the Middle East. From Bukhara, their capital in Central Asia, the Samanids controlled the surrounding land of Transoxiana, western Afghanistan and Khorasan in Iran. The Samanids employed as warrior slaves a Turkish tribe called the Ghaznavids. Rising to power through merit, Turkish governors came to rule all the outlying provinces of the Samanid Empire. Alptagin and Sabuktagin, the first rulers of Ghazni in Afghanistan, were the first Turks to invade India. But it was Mahmud who raided India as many as 17 times. Alptagin he was originally a slave and by dint of his ability and hard work, he rose to the position of the governor of Khorasan. By 962 AD, he became an independent ruler of both Khorasan and Ghazni. Sabuktagin Alptagin was succeeded by his slave and son-in-law Sabuktagin in 977. He was a military leader eager for conquests. The neighboring Hindu Shahi kingdom, which separated India from the territories, became his target. The Hindu Shahi king Jaipal ruled over a large kingdom in the northwest of India, extending over the Punjab and the frontier region. Twice, he was defeated by Sabuktagin and the frontier region came under Turkish rule. Sultan Mahmud of Ghazni Sabuktagin was succeeded by his son Mahmud, known in Indian history as Sultan Mahmud of Ghazni. He was declared as an independent sovereign from the Caliph of Baghdad. This increased his prestige in the Muslim world. He plundered India about 17 times. His aim was not to conquer or occupy India as it was not possible for him to control the Indian territories from Ghazni but to carry away its enormous wealth. He only annexed Multan and Punjab for the safety of his empire. Mahmud, the idol breaker. The whole country of India is full of gold and jewels and of the plants which grow there as those fit for making clothes and aromatic plants and sugarcane and the whole aspect of the country is pleasant and delightful. Now, since the inhabitants are chiefly infidels and idolaters by the order of God and his prophet, it is right for us to conquer them. Thus, according to contemporary historians, did Mahmud decide the fate of northern India between the year 1001 and his death in 1030. He turned his words into lethal action, making as many as 17 raids into the country. Expeditions of Mahmud of Ghazni 1001 AD He defeated Jaipal, king of Punjab and captured Peshawar. 1006 AD He conquered Multan from the Muslim ruler Abdul Fatah Daud. 1008 AD He defeated Anandpal, the ruler of Punjab and annexed Punjab. 1009 AD 
he captured the fort of nagarkot or kangra and plundered the temples 1018 ad in his 12th expedition he defeated the rulers of mathura and kannauj he ransacked the two cities and destroyed all the beautiful temples 1025 ad his famous attack on the celebrated hindu temple of somnath situated in the south of kathiawar the saga of somnath gathering his army supplemented by 30000 greedy volunteers from central asia mahmud set out from ghazni on october 17 1024 with the aid of 30000 camels he crossed the thar desert to arrive at the gates of somnath in january of 1025 the somnath temple was located in the fort of a local ruler The king's army supported by brahmins and worshippers mounted a defense the fighting raged for 3 days when the battle was over almost the entire defense force of 50000 lay dead and mahmud stood victorious before the shattered jewel crusted idol of shiva mahmud's booty from the single invasion amounted to 20 million dinars amounting to 1300 kg of gold Besides this he took back precious stones and works of art as one historian wrote so much booty prisoners and wealth that the fingers of those who counted them would have been tired of the idol itself two pieces were incorporated in the steps of a mosque and the rest sent to makkah to be trodden underfoot as the part of the pavement in contrast to his harsh treatment of northern indian culture where his destruction and looting of hindu temples earned him the name idol breaker mahmud was a fervent patron of art and learning in the grand persian style he transformed ghazni from a collection of mud brick dwellings into a glittering showcase of persian culture as mahmud drained the indian countryside of its wealth ghazni prospered markets bridges dams and mosques were built his court attracted leading poets and writers from all over the muslim world among them were the persian poet firdausi and the historian mathematician and astrologer albiruni even though mahmud justified his looting as ordered by his god and prophet mahmud was not a crusader of his faith for no religion preaches greed and plunder to mahmud ghazni india was simply a vast treasure store whose guardians happened to be a hindu in fact he even incorporated hindus into his army and reserved a special quarter for them in ghazni gor was a small province that lay in the hills between ghazni and herat in western afghanistan The Gauris were of Persian origin and ruled over these principalities as feudatories of Mahmud Ghaznavi. The struggle between the Gauris and the Ghazni rulers continued for about quarter of a century. At last, Ghayasuddin and Muizuddin Muhammad, nephews of Alauddin, were able to assert their independence. They seized the throne of Ghazni in 1173 AD. While Ghayasuddin defeated the realm of the north and west against Turkish threat, Muizuddin swept into India. Between 1175 AD and 1196 AD, Mahmud Ghori conquered and annexed Multan, Sindh, Anhilwara, Peshawar, Lahore, Kannauj and Delhi. 
He also captured Gwalior but in exchange for a regular tribute he gave back its possession. The most historic battle was fought in 1191 between the armies of Mahmud Ghori and Prithviraj Chauhan met at the battlefield of Tarain. The Muslims were badly defeated and Mahmud Ghori badly wounded. In 1192 AD Mahmud Ghori defeated Prithviraj Chauhan at Tarain and 1194 AD he defeated and killed Jaychandra of Kannauj. Muizuddin was forced to return to Ghazni to subdue Shiite rebellion on his western border. He left behind his viceroy Qutbuddin Aybak. Aybak meaning moon-faced, a term used by Turks to denote fair skin and comeliness. He captured many fortresses including Hasi, Meerut, Delhi, Koil and Ajmer. While Qutbuddin was occupied in the north, another great Turkish soldier Iktiaruddin carried Islamic rule to eastern India. In 1202 AD, Iktiaruddin Muhammad bin Bakhtiyar Khilji invaded Bengal and made Lucknowti his capital. Earlier, he had captured Bihar and destroyed the Buddhist monasteries, among them Nalanda's fabled library. The sacking of Nalanda marked the end of Buddhism as a major Indian religion. Meanwhile, Muizuddin had succeeded his brother and was engaged in a constant struggle to hold his new empire. On March 15, 1206 AD, he died on the banks of the river Indus, probably murdered by members of the Shiite faction whom he had persecuted 7 years ago. Following a quick succession of rulers, Qutbuddin declared himself sultan of all the Indian provinces. Fate of Ghazni. Mahmud of Ghazni died on April 30, 1030, probably of tuberculosis. None of Mahmud's successors matched his prowess as a leader and the Ghaznavid empire slowly began to disintegrate. In 1150, the Ghori leader Alauddin Hussain marched on Ghazni to avenge the death of his brother at Ghaznavid hands. Alauddin's revenge was severe. All male inhabitants of Ghazni were put to death. All women and children were taken into slavery. The tombs and palaces of all the Ghaznavid kings were torn from the ground and destroyed. The town was then put to flames. For 7 days the glittering palaces and mosques of Ghazni burnt until not a trace was left of Mahmud's great city. Alauddin entered history as Jahasoz, the world burner. Ghori's triumph at the second battle of Tarain. In 1192 AD, Muizuddin returned to Tarain in spirit of revenge. He came with a force consisting of 12,000 horsemen and mounted archers and employed Turkish tactics to rout the Rajputs. He ordered his men to avoid men-to-men fighting with sword or lance, at which the Rajputs excelled. Instead, his mounted archer harassed and tired the Rajput army by shooting arrows at them and pretending to flee. They were supplied with fresh arrows from the camp at the rear. Caught in the showers of Muslim arrows, the Indians found themselves as a complete loss, unable to employ men-to-men fighting and unable to pursue the horsemen without dangerously exposing themselves. 
Finally, judging the Indians to be too weak and tired, Muizuddin ordered his cavalry corps of professional slave warriors to charge. They swept the disorganized Indians from the field and killed Prithviraj. The way to Delhi was now open. Journey of Delhi Sultanate from its establishment in 1206 AD up till the arrival of Babur in 1526 AD. For centuries prior to the creation of the Delhi Sultanate, the Indian subcontinent had been dominated by four dynasties. The mighty Cholas in the south, the Palas in the east in lush Bengal, the Rashtrakutas in the arid Deccan plateau of central India, and the Pratiharas in the fertile plains of the upper Ganges and the scrubby forests that stretched westwards as far as the Indus. Meanwhile, to the west of India, Islamic dynasties rose and fell. In the early days of Islam, the Muslim world had a single empire ruled first from Damascus by Arabs and later from Baghdad by Persians. But the rift between the Muslim sects, the Sunnis and the Shiites weakened Muslim unity by the 9th century. In Persia, provincial families, some Sunni and some Shiites took over the reins of authority. They came to depend on Turkish warrior slaves. These slaves were purchased as children from nomad families roaming the steppes of central India. They were trained in Islam and the military arts and could be depended upon to be loyal to their masters. Those Turks who proved worthy rose to great heights and sometimes intermarried with their overlords. It was through these people that Persian culture, Turkish warfare and the Arabic holy books spread into the heart of India in the 12th century. Prithviraj Chauhan was ruling over Delhi when Mahmud Ghori led his invasions into India. A confederacy of Rajputs under Prithviraj repulsed him. But in 1192 AD, Prithviraj was defeated and killed by Ghori. After this, Muhammad Ghori retired to his native land, leaving Qutubuddin Aibak his slave as his viceroy in India. In 1193, Qutubuddin Aibak captured Delhi, which was still in the hands of the Chauhans. Later, after the death of Ghori in 1208, he enthroned himself at Lahore as the first Sultan of Delhi. The period from 1206 AD to 1526 AD is called the Delhi Sultanate in Indian history because the Muslim rulers during this period got the title of the Sultan and Delhi was the seat of their capital. During this period, five dynasties ruled over Delhi, Qutubuddin Aibak being the founder of Delhi Sultanate. Five different dynasties ruled over northern India during 1206 AD to 1526 AD. The slave dynasty from 1206 to 1290 AD, the Khalji dynasty from 1290 AD to 1320 AD, the Tughlaq dynasty from 1320 AD to 1413 AD, the Sayyid dynasty from 1414 AD to 1451 AD and the Lodi dynasty from 1451 AD to 1526 AD. The Slave Dynasty The Slave Dynasty is more appropriately called the Mamluk Sultans of Delhi. Of the nine rulers, only three, Aibak, 
Iltutmish and Balban began their political career as bonded slaves. Even when they were freed by their masters, all others were free men. The important sultans of the slave dynasty were Kutubuddin Aibak, Iltutmish, Razia and Balban. Kutubuddin Aibak After the death of Mahmud Ghori, his viceroy, Kutubuddin Aibak became the ruler of Delhi in 1206 AD. in spite of a long opposition by the rajputs kutubuddin is regarded as the founder of turkish rule in india born of turkish parents in turkestan the young aibak had been sold to the qazi of nishapur who educated him and trained him in military skills after the qazi's death aibak was sold to mahmud ghori aibak's courage military skills and loyalty to his master earned him the position of commander in Gauri's army. He was placed in charge of his Indian conquests after the Second Battle of Tarayan in 1192 AD. He was also appointed master of the stables and made viceroy of India. He further strengthened his position by entering into matrimonial alliances with his powerful rivals, the governors of Punjab, Sindh, Bihar, etc. He got his daughter married to Iltutmish and his sister to Nasiruddin Kubacha. He himself married the daughter of Tajuddin Yildoj. Aibak was also a very good administrator. He was just, kind, generous and a tolerant ruler. He was called Lakh Bakshar, giver of lakhs, on account of his generosity. Himself a pious Muslim, he treated Hindus kindly. He encouraged learning and many scholars lived in his court. Aibak was a great builder. He started the construction of Qutb Minar at Delhi which was completed by his son-in-law Iltutmish. Aibak died at Lahore in 1210 AD where he fell from a horse while playing a game, Chamgam, somewhat like polo. Iltutmish The sudden death of Aibak left a void which the nobles filled by placing his son Aram Shah on the throne of Delhi. Aram Shah was a weak and incompetent ruler. He was therefore overthrown and Aibak's son-in-law Iltutmish was invited to occupy the throne in 1211 AD. Iltutmish has been called the savior and the real founder of the Delhi Sultanate. His status was recognized in 1228 when he was confirmed as sultan by the Khalifa of Baghdad. This enhanced his privilege in the Muslim world and enabled him to consolidate his authority in India. The Qutbi Amirs rebelled against him. The rival slave chiefs Tajuddin Yildoj, the ruler of Ghazni, and Nasiruddin Kubacha, the governor of Sindh, challenged him. The Khaljis of Bengal asserted their independence. The Hindu princes wanted to regain their lost dominions. Iltutmish proved a strong and worthy ruler. He subjugated his rivals, the Qutbi Amirs, Yildoj, Kubacha, and the Khaljis of Bengal. After getting rid of his rivals and strengthening his position, Iltutmish turned his attention towards Hindu princes. He conquered Malwa, Mandu, Ujjain, Gwalior, Ranthambore and brought the whole of North India under his rule. Achievements of Iltutmish Iltutmish was one of the greatest Muslim rulers of India. He saved and strengthened the Muslim empire. 
he founded the so-called slave dynasty in India. El-Tutmish was a great builder. He completed the Qutub Minar at Delhi. He built a mosque at Badayu. He also built a tomb in red sandstone at Delhi. He adopted the silver tanka as his standard coin weighing 17 grains, ancestor of the rupee and the copper fital. He was the first to mint gold and silver coins on which words were engraved in Arabic only. He organized the revenue and the finance department. The reign of Iltutmish saw the decline of Lahore and the rise of Delhi. All artists and artisans flocked to Delhi and it became the second Baghdad. Threat from Mongols India was threatened by the Mongol invasion during the reign of Iltutmish. Chinggis Khan, the fierce leader of the Mongols, followed Jalaluddin who had fled towards India in search of shelter in India. Iltutmish refused politely to give him any protection in India. So, Jalaluddin fled back to Persia and the Mongols also retired. Thus, India was saved from a great calamity and the horrors of Mongol invasion in 1221 AD. Razia Sultan Razia was brave, wise, intelligent and possessed all the royal qualities. Razia dressed like a man and sat in the open darbar to transact business. She was a talented woman and regarded the welfare of her subjects as an essential duty. Iltutmish was succeeded by his weak and incompetent eldest surviving son, Ruknuddin Feroz Shah, who died within six months of ascending the throne. Then Razia, the daughter of Iltutmish, who had been nominated by her father as his successor, ascended the throne as Sultan Razia Uddin. Although the nobles did not like to be ruled by a woman, they had to accept Razia as their ruler. Some even revolted against her, but she was able to restore peace by her courage and diplomacy. However, she offended the nobles, the Turkish Mamluks known as the Forty, by sharing undue favours on an Abyssinian slave called Yakut and appointing him as the master of the stables. Her Prime Minister, Muhammad Zunaidi, also organised a revolt against her, but she crushed it. Altunia, the governor of Batinda, was the first to rise in revolt. In order to strengthen her position, Razia married Altunia. People disapproved of this and both Razia and her husband were put to death in 1240 AD. Razia's successors After Razia's death, Iltutmish's third son, Muizuddin Behram Shah, came to the throne for a period of two years. His rule was followed by a four-year tenure by Alauddin Masood Shah, the son of Ruknuddin. They were mere puppets and their reigns were full of murders and intrigues. Masood Shah was disposed and Nasiruddin Mahmud, the youngest son of Iltutmish, came to the throne through a conspiracy hashed against Masood Shah. Nasiruddin Mahmud in 1246, Nasiruddin, the youngest son of Iltutmish, was appointed as ruler. However, he remained Sultan in name only as all the power of the state was seized by the Turkish nobles and their leader, Balban. Nasiruddin was a simple, kind-hearted and a religious man. He was politically inactive and passed the 20 years of his reign 
transcribing the Quran. Balban was the most prominent figure of the reign. A slave of Iltutmish, he gradually became powerful and a member of the forty. He consolidated the Sultan's authority and ruled with iron control for 20 years as Nasiruddin's Prime Minister. With a view to check Mongol invasions, Balban built new forts and repaired the old ones. Thus, he successfully saved the Sultanate from any internal and external dangers. Gayasuddin Balban Balban seized power after the death of Nasiruddin. He realized that the intrigues of the Turkish nobles were the main cause of the weakness of the royal authority and disorders prevailing in the kingdom. He weakened the power of the nobles by drawing a line of distinction between the Sultan and the noble. He also employed spies and news writers to collect information about the views and activities of the nobles. Fierce punishment was given to those who did not perform their duties. The recurring invasions by the Mongols was Balban's constant worry. He devoted all his might and men to safeguard his dominions against them. He reformed the army to increase the efficiency by increasing its size and appointing loyal officers. He put up a strong resistance to Mongol invasion. Conquest of Bengal Tugril Khan, who was appointed governor of Bengal, revolted and assumed the title of Sultan and issued coins. Balban personally marched against him, killed him and captured Bengal. He returned to Delhi, leaving the government of Bengal to his son, Bugra Khan. Achievements of Balban Balban was a very able and dignified ruler. He tried to consolidate the empire instead of just extending its boundaries. He had a well-equipped army to protect his kingdom from internal rebellions and external invasion. He patronized many Muslim scholars and gave shelter to many refugees from Central Asia. He enhanced the position of the Sultan by degrading the nobility class. Balban died of illness in 1287 AD and was succeeded by his grandson Kekubad, a pleasure-seeking monarch. He soon lost his throne and eventually died of paralysis. The line of slave sultans came to an end along with the power of pure Turks. The throne then passed into the hands of the Khaljis. The Khaljis, wrongly believed to be Afghans, were actually Turks who had for a long time settled in the region of Afghanistan called Khalij and adopted Afghan manners and customs. The Ghaznavid and Ghorid invasions and Mongol pressure from Central Asia had pushed them into Hindustan. Jalaluddin Khilji Jalaluddin Khilji, the first Khilji ruler, was 70 years old when he took over the throne. He was a simple, peace-loving and a kind person. He allowed the Turkish nobles to keep their posts and pardoned most of his enemies who were fighting for the throne. Jalaluddin's ambitious nephew and son-in-law, Alauddin, helped curb the unrest in the kingdom and also defend the area from the Mongols. The only noteworthy event of Jalaluddin's reign was the raid by Alauddin on Devgiri, Devgir which is modern Daltabad, in 1294. After defeating the rulers of Devgiri, he returned to Kara with huge quantities of gold and precious articles. 
Jalaluddin wished to congratulate his nephew but Alauddin killed him and had his head carried through the provinces on a spearhead for all to see Alauddin Khilji Alauddin Khilji the nephew and the son-in-law of Jalaluddin Khilji came to the throne in 1296 AD after murdering his uncle in cold blood He was a powerful general a shrewd administrator and an ambitious monarch He established the largest empire since Ashoka and extended the boundaries of Muslim empire in India up to the Deccan in the south. The Deccan expeditions brought Alauddin wealth, power and prestige. He did not annex the territories of the Deccan to his empire because it was difficult to control distant provinces of the south. He let these rulers retain their kingdoms when they acknowledged his supremacy and agreed to pay annual tributes. Alauddin sent an expedition to conquer Gujarat. They plundered the state and along with the rich booty they brought back a slave Malik Kafur who later became Alauddin's general. They also brought Kamla the wife of the king of Gujarat as captive to the Muslim army to become the wife of Alauddin Khilji. By 1305 Alauddin became the master of the whole of North India. Ujjain, Dhar, Mandu and Chanderi all became a part of his empire. Alauddin's empire extended from Brahmaputra in the east to Arabian Sea in the west and from the Himalayas in the north up to Madurai in the far south. The southern states were in his empire in name only and they had become almost independent towards the last days his capital was at delhi malik kafur a hindu eunuch malik kafur was purchased for 1000 dinars by nusrat khan at kambe gujarat this earned him the nickname hazar dinari the deccan conquests made malik kafur so powerful and wealthy that he became over ambitious and dreamt of becoming king himself While trying to dispose of his rifles he himself was killed Alauddin's reforms and administrations Alauddin set up an efficient system of government he did not allow the ulemas to interfere in the affairs of the state military he reorganized the army appointed soldiers directly and paid them handsome salaries in cash horses were branded so that they could be easily identified His army consisted of 3 lakh soldiers. The army was increased to check the frequent Mongol invasions. He got the old forts repaired and built new ones to protect against Mongol invasion. Samana, Dipalpur and Multan were made frontier provinces and strong sardars appointed for the defense of the frontiers. Several workshops and factories were set up for the manufacture of weapons and other war materials. economic reforms he controlled the markets and fixed prices for all goods the prices were not to be disturbed even in times of famine farmers could not hoard grains or sell privately surplus grain was to be sent to the government granaries a special department under the charge of shehnai mandi supervised the market and checked weights and measures Transport was developed so that grains from the villages could be brought easily to the capital. Muslim traders were advanced loans from public treasuries to carry on their business. Measures to control revolts. 
Alauddin identified the following as the main factors that led to the revolts. King's negligence and ignorance. The king's ignorance about the condition of his subjects was the main reason for revolts. Drinking led to convivial gathering where people met and hashed conspiracies. Excess wealth gave power and leisure for evil thoughts and rebellions. Alauddin reduced the power of the nobles, took away their extra wealth and forbade them to drink wine, have parties or mix with one another. He had spies to report on them. The Hindus were forced to pay higher rates of land rent and other taxes. This reduced them to a state of poverty. He did not appoint them on high posts. Decline of the Khiljis Alauddin died of fever in 1316 AD. After his death, Malik Kafur tried to become the Sultan of Delhi, but he was killed in this attempt. Alauddin's successors, Shiabuddin Umar, Mubarak and Khusro Khan ruled up to 1320 AD, one after the other. Later successors were weak and incompetent. Chaos and anarchy prevailed in the empire. Ghazi Tughlaq, the governor of the frontier province, murdered Khusro Khan in 1320 AD and came to the throne. He assumed the title of Gayasuddin Tughlaq and became the founder of the Tughlaq dynasty. The Mongol Invasions During Alauddin's reign, the Mongols became a great danger to the empire and he had to devise drastic measures to prevent them from plundering the state. There were several Mongol invasions during the first 12 years of his reign and even Delhi was threatened on more than one occasion. In the reign of Jalaluddin Khalji, a large number of Mongols embraced Islam and settled near Delhi. Alauddin Khilji came to know that new Muslims were trying to hatch a plot against him. He ordered his soldiers to massacre them and taught the Mongols such a severe lesson that they dared not invade India during his reign. At its greatest extent in 13th century, during the reign of Kublai Khan, the Mongol Empire extended from the Pacific Ocean to the Black Sea. The ancient Persian game of polo was adopted by the Mongols because it helped to give their warriors the excellent skills in horsemanship necessary for fighting battles. Shooting backwards from his mount a full gallop was a skill that made the Mongol warriors to the steppe unequaled on the battlefields of Asia and Europe. A warrior could bend and sting the bow while on the saddle by putting one end between his foot and the stirrup. He could shoot accurately even at speed, timing the release of the arrow to come between the paces of his horse. Gayasuddin Tughlaq was the founder of the Tughlaq dynasty. He was the son of an Indian mother and like his Turkish father was in the service of the sultans. He distinguished himself by his successful defense against the Mongol invaders and ultimately became the governor of Dipalpur. Ghazi Tughlaq ascended the throne of Delhi under the title Gayasuddin Tughlaq. Gayasuddin Tughlaq was a strong and benevolent ruler. He combined fairness and firmness to establish peace and order in the kingdom. He rooted out corruption, looked after the welfare of the patients, increased land under cultivation, improved means of communication, 
transport and postal system constructed bridges and canals increased the wages of his civil servants and restored the privileges of his revenue officers he was a devout muslim but he never persecuted the hindus Gayasuddin was a capable military commander. He fought Mongol invasions, sent expeditions to Warangal, subjugated Gutti and Madura, raided Orissa and put down rebellions in Gujarat and Bengal. On his return from Bengal, he was killed near Afghanpur by the fall of a pavilion, an accident which was probably planned by his son and successor Juna Khan alias Uluk Khan. Achievements of Gayasuddin Tughlaq Gayasuddin Tughlaq reintroduced the food laws of Alauddin. He suppressed the rebellions in the distant provinces with a strong hand and restored peace and order. He organized better postal systems and encouraged agriculture. From among the 11 rulers of the Tughlaq dynasty, only the first three that is Gyasuddin Tughlaq, Muhammad bin Tughlaq and Ferosha Tughlaq were interested in architecture and each added a new capital city in Delhi. Tomb of Gyasuddin Tughlaq Located 8 kilometers from Qutub Minar on the Qutub Badarpur Road is the city of Tughlaqabad. Built by Gyasuddin, the city is the site of his self-built tomb. The tomb, about 8 square meters with sloping walls of red sandstone, is surmounted by a white marble dome raised on an octagonal drum. Lotus bud fringes break the monotony of the red sandstone and give it a decorative effect. These are three graves inside, the central one of Gayasuddin and the other two believed to be those of his wife and his son, Muhammad bin Tughlaq. Muhammad bin Tughlaq Three days after his father's death, Juna Khan ascended the throne in 1325 AD under the name of Muhammad bin Tughlaq. Although very learned and accomplished as a ruler, he failed badly. His administrative reforms were impractical and he became unpopular. Taxation of the Dawab in order to increase the resources of the government, Muhammad greatly increased the land revenue in the Doab, the plains between Ganga and Yamuna. Unfortunately, this rigorous measure was carried out during a period of severe famine in the country. The impoverished farmers, instead of paying the taxes, left their fields to escape the tyranny of the officers and took to highway robbery agriculture suffered. When the Sultan realized the mistake of his taxation policy in the Doab, he ordered relief measures like advancing loans to farmers, giving off seeds and bullocks and digging wells for irrigation. But the remedy came too late and the farmers failed to profit by it. Transfer of Capital A very important experiment was made by the Sultan in shifting his capital from Delhi to Devgiri, renamed Daltabad. The capital was shifted mainly for many reasons. First, it was centrally located. It occupied a central location which was almost equal distance that is 700 miles from Delhi, Gujarat, Laknauti, Telangana and other important places. It was safe from Mongol invasion. Being far from the northwest, it was safe from the threat of the Mongols who frequently invaded the neighborhood of Delhi and made life and property insecure. 
it weakened the power of the citizens the sultan wanted to break the power of the citizen of delhi who often played an important role in destabilizing the sultans the sultan also made the mistake of ordering the entire population to migrate from delhi to daltabad Despite the elaborate arrangements made for the 708 mile journey the people arrived in the new and strange city weary and homesick many of them even perished along the way introduction of token currency the economic burden of the transfer of capital experiment was heavy and it made the treasury empty The treasury was further depleted by the sultan's generous lavish lifestyle failure of the agricultural reforms and the dawab taxation policy in order to make up the deficit in his treasury muhammad issued copper coins considered equal in the value to gold and silver coins unfortunately the mint was not state monopoly and a large scale imitation of royal coins began Every house became a mint and the people started making duplicate coins. A large number of such coins were in circulation and trade and industries suffered. Muhammad withdrew the scheme and paid gold and silver coins in exchange of copper coins from the treasury. This greatly impoverished the state. Schemes of conquest. Muhammad had extraordinary schemes of world conquests. For the conquest of Khurasan and Iraq a huge army was maintained for one year however these places could not be invaded and the scheme had to be abandoned the sultan lost men material and money he also sent an army for the conquest of china and the scheme failed Muhammad bin Tughlaq was responsible for the downfall of the Tughlaq dynasty to a great extent. The treasury was exhausted and revolts broke out in Bengal, Awadh, Gujarat, the Deccan and the far south. The empire began to disintegrate. As a result, the Bahmani and Vijayanagar kingdoms were established in the Deccan. Muhammad bin Tughlaq is known as a mixture of opposites in history. Historians also call him names ranging from raving mad to genius. Muhammad Tughlaq was a great philosopher trained in logic and Greek mathematics with whom scholars feared to argue. He was also a lover of science. His exquisite calligraphy and beautiful coinage testify to his artistic talents. He was a great general but his plans proved to be impracticable in actual operation. He lacked common sense and practical judgment. He performed religious duties strictly though a devout Sunni Muslim he did not allow the ulemas to interfere in state matters. His personal life was free of vices. He avoided liquor and other intoxicating drugs. He respected women and elders. He was a man of hasty nature and hot temper. He was proud, haughty, obstinate and acted cruelly when his pride or vanity was hurt. Firoz Shah Tughlaq. Firoz Shah Tughlaq, a cousin of Muhammad Tughlaq, succeeded him in 1351 AD. He was an incompetent general and Bengal and Deccan became independent during his reign. His military campaigns in Bengal, Sindh and Gujarat were mismanaged. Feroz Shah was a devout Muslim and was greatly influenced by Maulvis and tried to rule as per their advice. 
He was a great scholar and founded many schools and colleges. He patronized the historians Barney and Afif. He was intolerant towards Hindus and imposed the jizya tax on the Brahmins. Hindu temples and idols were destroyed. He was one of the last great sultans of Delhi. His policy of intoleration roused Hindus against him. This finally led to the downfall of the Tughlaq dynasty. Although an incapable general, Firoz Shah Tughlaq was an ideal, kind, pious, generous and a merciful ruler. He simplified the legal system and discouraged the use of spies. He adopted a humane attitude towards the slaves. To revive agriculture, he reduced land revenue and cancelled loans advanced during the famine. This helped improve agriculture and brought prosperity to the patients. To promote trade, he reduced the octroi duty. Invasion of Timur Amir Timur or Tamerlane, Timur the Lame, as he was called, was born in 1336 AD in Kesh, which was 50 miles south of Samarkand. Conqueror of Persia, Afghanistan and Mesopotamia, he invaded India in 1398. He had no intention of annexing India to his empire but to loot its rich booty. Ferocious successors who ruled from 1388 to 1414 AD were weak and incompetent. Timur took advantage of the civil war being waged between the governor of the Hindu chiefs and invaded India during the reign of the last Tughlaq ruler, Muhammad Tughlaq. Timur crossed the Indus and conquered Multan and Punjab, destroying this area completely. When he reached Delhi, Muhammad advanced to face him but was badly defeated. Muhammad fled to Gujarat. Timur stayed in Delhi for 15 days and massacred the innocent Indians. When Timur left India, he took a large number of skilled artisans as captives. On his way back to Samarkand, he plundered Merat and also invaded Jammu. The ruler of Jammu was compelled to embrace Islam. With Timur's invasion, the dynasty founded by Gayasuddin Tughlaq came to an end and paved the way for Babur's conquest of India in 1526 AD. Effects of Timur's Invasion There was disorder and confusion in the country. Delhi was ruined and depopulated. India's wealth was drained off to foreign countries. His invasion widened the gulf between the Hindus and Muslims. Indian art found its way in Central Asia. Timur's invasion paved the way for Mongol conquest. Babur was a descendant of Timur and he claimed the throne of Delhi partly on account of his descent. Sayyid Dynasty Khizr Khan was not only the founder of the Sayyid Dynasty but also its ablest ruler. In 1398, he joined forces with Timur. When Timur left India, he appointed Khizr Khan as his viceroy in Multan. Khizr dethroned Daulat Khan, a noble under the later Tughlaq, selected as the Sultan of Delhi in 1414 AD and became the King of Delhi. Several Sayyid Sultans reigned in Delhi from 1414 to 1451 AD, but their authority did not extend beyond the Punjab and the Doab. The rulers of this dynasty were Khizr Khan, Mubarak Shah, Muhammad Shah and Alauddin Alam Shah. 
The last ruler of this dynasty was so weak that he surrendered the throne of Delhi to Behlo Lodi, who was at that time the governor of Lahore and Sindh. The Lodi dynasty. The Sayyids were followed by the three Lodi sultans. The Lodis were Afghans and their kingdom was larger than that of the Sayyids. They tried to strengthen the Delhi Sultanate. Behlo Lodi. Behlo Lodi was the founder of the Lodi dynasty. Sikandar Lodi succeeded Behlo Lodi and shifted the capital from Delhi to Agra. Sikandar Lodi's tomb lies on the northwestern corner of the Lodi Gardens in Delhi. It is an octagonal tomb with a central octagonal chamber surrounded by veranda. Each side is pierced by three arches. Ibrahim Lodi was the last ruler of this dynasty. Babur defeated and killed Ibrahim Lodi in the first battle of Panipat in 1526. Thus, the Delhi Sultanate came to an end and the rule of the Mughals was established in India. The Mughal Emperor Babur With the decline of the Delhi Sultanate, there was no paramount power left in India. Several independent states in the north were at war with each other. In 1526, Babur from Fargana crushed the last of the Lodi ruler and established the Mughal rule in India. The Great Mughal Dynasty was ruled by Babur, Humayu, Jahangir, Shah Jahan and Aurangzeb. Babur ruled from 1526 to 1530 AD. Descended from Timur on father's side and the Mongol Genghis Khan on his mother's side, he became king of Fargana at the age of 11 when he lost his father. He turned his attention towards India after his triple failure against Uzbeks to hold Samarkand. Babur's five expeditions into India are In 1505 he led his first expedition at the age of 21 mainly to loot and not to occupy In 1519 to 1522 AD he raided India thrice during this period and captured Gandhar in 1522 AD In 1525 Babur entered Hindustan and in 1526 defeated Ibrahim Lodi at the Battle of Panipat. On April 26, 1526 Babur declared himself the emperor of Hindustan. Important conquests of Babur are First Battle of Khanwa in 1527 This battle was fought between Babur and Rana Sanga of Mewar of Khanwa In this battle Rajputs were defeated The second battle was fought in Chanderi in 1528 Babur captured the fort of Chanderi after which no Rajput chief could challenge Babur's authority The third battle was Battle of Khagar in 1529 AD Babur defeated Sultan Nusrat Shah of Bengal on the banks of the river Ghaggar Babur died approximately at the age of 48 years and was buried in a garden in Kabul Babur was a great conqueror but a poor administrator he laid down the foundation of Mughal rule in India he was a poet and a scholar his autobiography Tujuke Babri is a dependable account of the history of Central Asia and India. He was a lover of nature and laid many gardens. 
although an orthodox sunni he was not a fanatic he did not favor hindus and recognized jihad as a sacred duty nasiruddin muhammad better known as humayu was the second emperor of the mughal empire humayu was born in kabul in 1508 ad he was one of the most unfortunate rulers of the dynasty eldest son of babur he inherited the throne that was far from secure having conquered hindustan in just 4 years babur had no time to set up a proper administration humayu's three younger half brothers kamran askari and hindal were constantly plotting against him there was no law of succession amongst the muslims therefore after the death of a king there followed a war of succession every prince asserted his claim to the throne as per his father's wish humayu gave sambhal to askari and alwar to hindal kamran got the provinces of kabul and kandhar afghan amirs and hindu rajputs were making efforts to regain their lost empire in particular the afghan chief sher khan in the east and bahadur shah of gujarat threatened his hold in india the important military expeditions of humayu are in 1532 humayu defeated afghan sultan mahmud lodi besieged the fort of chunar under sher khan but did not succeed In 1535 AD he marched against Bahadur Shah of Gujarat but he failed to retain Gujarat. In 1538 AD Humayu marched against Sher Shah and finally took Chunar. In 1539 AD Sher Khan met the Mughal army at Chausa and defeated them. In 1540 AD armies of Sher Khan and Humayu fought on the banks of the Ganges in the battle of Bilgram the Mughals were completely defeated and Sher Khan became the master of Delhi and Agra Humayu was exiled after his defeat he kept wandering to Punjab and Sindh while in exile his son Akbar was born at Umarkot in Sindh in October 1542 AD. He regained all his lost territories from his brothers and Sher Shah and returned to India after 15 years. On January 24, 1556, he fell down the steps leading to the library and died. Humayu acted according to the deathbed advice of his father and treated all three brothers well. Humayu's failure as a ruler was the outcome of his own nature. He did not have a general's foresight or organizing talent. He lacked character and resolution. He was incapable of sustained effort and after a moment of triumph would busy himself in his harem and dream away the precious hours in the opium eaters paradise whilst his enemies were thundering the gate. naturally kind he forgave when he should have punished light-hearted and sociable he reveled at the tables when he ought to be in the saddle in private life he might have been a delightful companion but as a king he was a failure sher shah suri born as farid khan was the founder of the sur empire in india sher shah had its capital in sasaram in modern day bihar He was born in 1472 to Hasan Khan, a jagirdar of Sahasram, Bihar. He 
He secured the title of Sher Khan from Bahar Khan Lohani, a ruler of South Bihar. Later, he became the guardian of Jalal Khan, the minor son of Bahar Khan Lohani. The major political events of Sher Shah's reign are in 1530 he captured the fort of Chunar and defeated the Afghan forces and became the ruler of Bihar. In 1533 Sher Shah occupied Gore the capital of Bengal. In 1539 Sher Shah defeated Humayun in the battle of Chosa. In 1540 AD Sher Shah defeated Humayun again in the battle of Bilgram and Humayun had to leave India. With this Afghan rule was established for 5 years. In 1541 Sher Shah suppressed revolt in Bengal and divided the provinces into district. He occupied Punjab and invaded the Khokars and built a fort called Rohtas. In 1542 AD Sher Shah captured Malwa. In 1543 AD Sher Shah occupied the fort of Resin. In 1544 AD Sher Shah defeated Maldev the ruler of Marwar and occupied Ranthambore and Kalinjar Sher Shah Suri died in an explosion in 1545 AD The administration of Sher Shah Suri is well known During his short term of 5 years he set up a sound system of administration Sher Shah's principles of an ideal government were protect subjects from oppression and tyranny press crime ensure the comfort of traders and soldiers ensure safety of the highways and ensure peace and prosperity of the people sher shah established a central administration dynamically sher shah was a benevolent despot and divided the government into departments headed by a minister the empire was divided into 47 sarkars and sarkars were divided into parganas and parganas were divided into villages the villages were based on panchayat system his revenue administration was very strong revenue was fixed as one third of the produce on the basis of the land surveyed it could be paid in cash or kind he discouraged the jagir system but introduced kabuliyat and patta his military administration was also very strong he recruited troops personally he introduced the system of dag and chera he had infantry and cavalry he divided his army into divisions headed by a commander he was also known for a strong judicial system he was an impartial administrator qazis served as judges and applied islamic law the criminal law was harsh and punishments were severe he also established an efficient system of spies and his espionage system was very strong Sher Shah also worked hard on his communication system. He built roads to encourage trade. He built sarais for lodging and boarding. He also worked on the postal arrangements. He used sarais as mail post or dak chowkis. He was also a great builder. Sher Shah built Purana Kila in Delhi and his own mausoleum at Sahasram. Sher Shah also gave attention to trade and commerce. to promote business he abolished taxes tolls and customs and struck copper coins his religious policy was also very strong though a staunch muslim he was just to hindus and muslims and gave liberal grants 
Shirshah was a great ruler. He was the first one to throw Mughals out of the country in their early ages. It is said, had Shirshah been spared for a decade or two more, the great Mughals would not have appeared on the stage of history. Abul Fatah Jalaluddin Muhammad Akbar, popularly known as Akbar the Great or also as Akbar I, was the third Mughal emperor. Born as Jalaluddin Muhammad on October 15, 1542 at Umarkot in Sindh while Humayu was in exile. Proclaimed emperor at the age of 13 soon after his father's death. Bairam Khan was his faithful general and guardian. The important military campaigns of Akbar are, in 1556, he fought the Second Battle of Panipat. Akbar defeated Hemu, the chief minister of the Afghan Adil Shah. This destroyed Afghan power and helped consolidate Mughal power. In 1557 AD, Akbar's rival Sikandar Suri of Punjab surrendered and the Afghan Adil Shah was killed. In 1558-60 AD, Bairam Khan conquered Gwalior, Ajmer and Jaunpur. In 1562 AD, Akbar's foster brother Adam Khan marched into Malwa and defeated its ruler Baj Bahadur. In 1564, Akbar's general Asaf Khan defeated Rani Durgavati of Gondwana. In 1568, Akbar besieged the fort of Chittor. In 1569 AD, Akbar took Kalinjar. In 1573 AD, Akbar annexed Gujarat, which brought the Mughals into direct contact with European traders. In 1576 AD, Akbar fought the Battle of Haldi Ghati. Akbar defeated Rana Pratap but failed to conquer Mewar fully. In 1592, Akbar annexed Odisha. In 1596 AD, Akbar led a campaign against Ahmednagar initially not successful but later regained it and annexed a part of the kingdom. In 1601 AD, Akbar invaded Khandesh and captured the forts of Burhanpur and Asirgarh. Apart from a great conqueror, Akbar was a great administrator. Akbar was the first Mughal ruler who paid particular attention towards the administration of the country as Babur and Humayu had no time to bring about any changes in the administration. His central administration was very strong. He was a despot and had a council of seven ministers to help him. His provincial administration was properly administered. Empire was divided into 15 provinces or subas which were further divided into sarkars and parganas. Akbar's administration is known for its mansabdari system. It was the basis of civil and military administration of the country, literally meaning office or rank of dignity. The system was introduced by Akbar who borrowed it from Persia. The Mansardari system worked in great efficiency in the time of Akbar. Akbar also introduced the system of branding the horses and maintaining of descriptive roles of the soldiers. The main features of Mansardari system are the Mansabs were divided into 33 grades who maintained horsemen ranging from 10 to 10,000. Mansabs above 5,000 were given nobles of high ranks. 
The mansabdars were generally paid in cash but sometimes jagirs were also given. They were appointed, promoted or dismissed by the emperor. A mansabdar could be assigned both military or civil duty. Thus, mansabdari system was meant to settle rank and fix gradation of pay. It has nothing to do with land. Also, it was not hereditary. Akbar's land revenue system was very strong. Akbar adopted Shesha's system of land revenue. Raja Todarmal, the chief officer, introduced many changes in the land revenue system and Dehsala system. The benefits of Dehsala system were it enabled the administrators to guess fairly the revenue of the state. The cultivators knew what they were required to pay. The government also promised to reduce the revenue in case of unforeseen circumstances of natural calamities. The state advanced loans to the cultivators which could be paid in easy installments. Remissions of revenue were granted in bad seasons. Akbar was known for his benevolent religious policy. Tolerant towards all caste and creed, he abolished the zizya and pilgrim tax. He built Ibadatkhana in 1575 to hold religious discussions with leaders of Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism, Zoroastrianism and Christianity. In 1582 AD, he introduced a new religion known as Dine-e-Ilahi which was national in character he was quite liberal in respect to this new faith his rajput policy gave him a strong empire rajputs were appointed on high posts he himself married rajput princesses he introduced various social reforms he abolished sati child marriages female infanticide condemned polygamy disapproved the system of high dowries and abolished the enslavement of the wives akbar introduced many economic reforms like he abolished the pilgrim tax jizya jagir system and standard gold coins were used as currency akbar also focused on his judicial reforms trial by ordeal was abolished and proceedings of the court were recorded akbar was a great patron of art and literature Persian was the court language and compulsory for all state servants. Akbar maintained a huge library and a number of famous books of Arabic, Turkish and Greek were translated into Persian. Akbarnama and Ayn-e Akbari by Abul Fazl are dependable accounts of Akbar's reign. Art in all forms, poetry, music, singing, painting etc were encouraged and men of talent and skill graced his court in the form of his nine gems popularly known as navratnas the navratnas of akbar are abul fazl a scholar and historian known for his two works akbarnama and ayne akbari fazi brother of abul fazl he was a poet and philosopher He translated the Bhagavad Gita into Persian. Abdur Rahim Khanekhana. Abdur Rahim Khanekhana was the son of Bairam Khan. He wrote poetry in Hindi. Rahim's dohas are still sung in Hindi literature and are very popular in India. Mia Tansin. He was a notable singer and musician of exceptional talent. He is remembered for the rendition of Rag Deepak. 
राजा टोडरमल ही वॉज एन एफिशियंट एडमिनिस्ट्रेटर बीरपल ही वॉज नोन फॉर हिज स्टेट्समैनशिप एंड विट राजा मानसिंह ही वॉज द ग्रेटेस्ट जनरल इन अकबर्स कोर्ट हमाम ही वॉज अ वेल नोन फिजिशियन मुल्ला दो प्याजा अ स्कॉलर नोन फॉर हिज रेडी विट दीज वर द नाइन वेरी टैलेंटेड मैन हु आर नोन एज नवरत्नाज इन हिस्ट्री अदर वेल नोन मेंबर्स ऑफ अकबर्स कोर्ट वर बदायूनी अ हिस्टोरियन एंड बाज बहादुर द म्यूजिशियन Persian influence blended with Hindu traditions of painting and architecture. The Gujarati school of painting developed and Akbar's buildings are Indian in style and are made from sandstone for example buildings in Agra and Fatehpur Sikri. When Akbar died in 1605 AD at the peak of his glory he had already begun the construction of his mausoleum his tomb at Sikandra near Agra. This complex was built according to a Persian plan known as Char Bagh Four Gardens. It was designed as the city of paradise. Nuruddin Muhammad Salim, known by his imperial name Jahangir, was the fourth Mughal emperor. Son of Akbar, he was born on 30th August 1569 to Akbar's Rajput wife. In 1611 he married Mehrunisa the daughter of Mirza Gyas Beg and widow of a Persian general Sher Afgan He gave her the title Noor Mahal and then Noor Jahan Noor Jahan is considered the real power behind the throne The important political events during the reign of Jahangir are he mounted the throne and assumed the title Jahangir in 1605 AD In 1606 his son Khusro rebelled against him. In his Deccan campaigns Jahangir recaptured Ahmednagar. He fought a war against Rajputs of Mewar in 1614 AD Rana Amar Singh was compelled to accept the overlordship of Jahangir. During his reign a rebellion broke out in Bengal which was headed by the Afghan chief Usman Khan. In 1616 an epidemic broke out in Punjab which was known as bubonic plague. In 1620 AD he conquered Kangra and captured the fort. In 1622 he lost Kandhar and this strategic region was lost to Shah of Persia. Jahangir's third son Prince Khurram revolted against him in 1622 AD and his able general Mahabad Khan also revolted against him in 1626 AD The last days of Jahangir were full of sorrows and misfortunes his health was completely shattered on account of too much drinking he died in 1627 and was buried in a beautiful tomb in Lahore Jahangir wrote his memoirs known as Tujuke Jahangiri. His diary gives a good account of his life and administration. The emperor possessed plenty of intelligence and ability, but his habit of excessive drinking completely ruined him. He was not cruel by nature, but excessive drinking was responsible for his fits of violent temper. When he was sober, he was magnanimous and forgiving. Jahangir was a lover of nature and loved Indian surroundings. He loved animals and had a vast drinking tank for animals built at Shekhpura in memory of his favorite deer. He had a great love for learning and other fine arts such as poetry, architecture, 
music and painting. He had complete knowledge of geology, botany and medicine. Mughal painting and music reached high standards of development under his patronage. He had keen interest in gardening. Some of the gardens in Lahore and Kashmir were laid down at his orders. Shihabuddin Muhammad Khurram, better known by his regal name Shah Jahan, was the fifth emperor of the Mughal Empire. He was born in 1592 in Lahore. In 1612, he married Arjuvand Banu Begum, daughter of Asif Khan, upon whom he bestowed the title Mumtaj Mahal, chosen one of the palace. The important events of his reign are he ascended the throne in 1628 by disposing of his brothers and nephews. He faced the revolt by Jujhar Singh, leader of Pundela clan, and Khan Jan Lodi, an Afghan noble. He expelled the Portuguese from Hooghly as they abused their trading privileges. He annexed Ahmednagar to the Mughal Empire in 1636, whereas Bijapur and Golconda accepted his suzerainty. He conquered Balkh and Badakhshan in central India. He failed to capture Kandhar from the Persians. The death of his beloved wife Mumtaj Mahal while giving birth to his 14th child completely shattered him and he built Taj Mahal in her fond memory. Shah Jahan meaning the king of the entire world one whose reign is known as the golden era and who is known as the prince of builders spent his last days as prisoner of his son Aurangzeb at Musambun Burj in Agra fort and died in 1666 Shah Jahan had four surviving sons Tara Shuja Aurangzeb and Murad Although Shah Jahan had declared Dara as his heir and successor but it was Aurangzeb who finally occupied the throne after plotting against his father and brothers Shah Jahan was arrested and imprisoned at Musambun Burj in Agra fort From here he used to gaze at the Taj Mahal because he was not permitted to leave the fort. This unhappy life of his ended with his death in 1666 AD. Shah Jahan's biography Bashah Nama was written by two authors, Abdul Hamid Lahori and Inayat Khan. Inayat Khan wrote Shah Jahan Nama and both are considered to be the accurate and authentic sources of his reign. The Prince of Builders raised many important buildings and monuments and those are Taj Mahal at Agra, Musamman Burj in Agra Fort, City of Shah Jahanabad now known as Old Delhi, Red Fort at Delhi, Jama Masjid at Delhi, Peacock Throne and Jahangir's Tomb. Shah Jahan was one of the greatest Mughal rulers. His reign has rightly been called the golden age of Mughals. He was a great general and soldier. He was a great administrator and statesman. There was peace and prosperity in the country and it was not disturbed by foreign invasions. Trade and commerce flourished. There was wonderful advancement in architecture and Shah Jahan built many splendid buildings. He was a great patron of art and a great lover of literature. There was great progress in medicine, mathematics and astronomy. He was a benevolent ruler and built roads, canals, tanks, bridges, sarais, etc. 
for the welfare of the people. Aurangzeb ascended the throne in July 1658 and assumed the title Alamgir. He disposed all the possible rivals and enjoyed comparative peace. The empire reached its zenith during his reign, but his religious, Rajput and Deccan policies led to the fall and decline of the Mughal empire. Aurangzeb's long reign may be divided into distinct periods. During the first half, that is from 1658 to 1681, he was directly connected with the affairs of North India. During the second half, that is from 1682 to 1707, he lived in South India and made efforts to crush the Marathas. During his reign, Aurangzeb had to put down many revolts by the Jats, Bundelas, Satnamis, Sikhs, frontier tribes of the Northwest, Rajputs and Marathas. The Jats continued their struggle first under the leadership of Raja Ram and thereafter under Chudaman. Their revolt proved one of the causes of the fall of the Mughal dynasty. The Sikh rebellion. Guru Nanak, the founder of the Sikh faith, tried to bridge the gap between the Hindus and the Muslims. He was followed by nine gurus. Due to the growing oppression of the Hindus by Aurangzeb, the ninth Sikh guru, Guru Teg Bahadur, took the responsibility of defending the Hindu faith. He had to sacrifice his life in Delhi in 1675 AD when he was beheaded under the orders of Aurangzeb for his refusal to embrace Islam. Guru Gobind Singh, the son of Guru Teg Bahadur, became the 10th guru and continued the mission started by his father. Open wars started between the Sikhs and the Mughals. Guru Gobind organized the Khalsa into a military organization. From 1695 onwards, he fought successfully against the rajas of North Punjab and the Mughal officials. Though he lost his four sons in these battles, he continued his crusade till Aurangzeb's death and even thereafter. The Guru himself was killed by a Pathan named Gul Khan in 1708. He was succeeded by Banda Bahadur and he carried on the struggle against the Mughals. Ultimately, they succeeded in setting up their independent kingdom in Punjab under Maharaja Ranjit Singh. War with the Rajputs Akbar had consolidated the foundations of his dynasty in India by making friends with the Rajputs. But Aurangzeb turned them into bitter foes because of his religious policy. His policy provoked a long war in Rajputana which came to an end only after his death. Aurangzeb's religious policy. Aurangzeb was a staunch Sunni Muslim and he thought that it was his duty to strengthen Islam which was being weakened by Dara's liberality. Aurangzeb wanted to convert Darul Harb that is non-Muslim country into Darul Islam that is the realm of Islam. He called on sustained jihad against the Hindus. Many Hindu temples of Mathura, Banaras, Jodhpur, Chittor were destroyed. The building of new temples and repair of the old ones was forbidden and mosques replaced temples. The jizya which was abolished by Akbar was reimposed. Hindus were excluded from responsible posts in revenue and accounts department. All Hindus excepting the Rajputs were forbidden to carry arms or ride palanquins, elephants and horses. Music and dancing were forbidden throughout the country. Singing in the royal court was forbidden. Painting too was declared as Islam does not sanction it. 
He ordered that the kalma should not be engraved on coins so that it might not be subjected to dishonor if ever the coins were trodden under human feet. He stopped Hindus from celebrating their festivals like Holi, Diwali at the royal court. Aurangzeb's fanaticism and religious intolerance proved fatal to the Mughal Empire. The major portion of the population consisted of Hindus. It was not easy to rule the country without their goodwill and cooperation. Widespread resentment led to rebellions. The economic conditions worsened which ultimately led to the fall of the empire. The hostilities between Hindus and Muslims which increased during Aurangzeb's reign were precisely those which led two and a half centuries later to the partition of the subcontinent and the appalling communal massacre of 1947. The Deccan policy of Aurangzeb had far-reaching consequences. It not only undid his own work but also those of his predecessors. The destruction of the Muslim kingdoms of Bijapur and Golconda was a mistaken policy. They had served as a check upon the Marathas who were now left free to carry out their raids. Aurangzeb's long absence from the north led to a natural slackening of authority and growth of corruption. The Jats and the Sikhs got an opportunity to strengthen their hands. A lot of money was spent in the Deccan wars with no possible outcome. The spirit of the Mughal army in the Deccan was utterly broken. Soldiers grew tired of Aurangzeb's endless wars. Aurangzeb died a sad and lonely man in 1707 at Ahmednagar. Lack of close friends, good officers and pressures and approaching death and guilty conscience made him write in a letter to his son Azam. I know not to what punishment I shall be doomed. Architecture in medieval India with the Arab conquest of Sindh in 712 AD, the arrival of the Islamic rulers to the western frontiers of India had started. By 12th century AD, the throne of Delhi had been occupied by an Islamic ruler which marked the onset of the medieval period of Indian history. In the subsequent years, Indian architecture underwent a massive change. New elements such as calligraphy, ornamentation using inlay work, etc. were introduced to reflect the tastes and preferences of the new rulers. However, the local architects retained certain flavors of the local architectural traditions as well. Thus, in the architecture of this following period, we see a confluence of Persian style with the Indian style. Hence, it is known as Indo-Islamic architecture or Indo-Saracenic architecture. Some of the features of Indo-Islamic architecture are the use of arch and domes gained prominence during this period. It was known as arcuate style of architecture and replaced the traditional trabeate style of architecture. The Islamic rulers introduced the use of minars around the mosques and the mausoleums. Mortar was used as a cementing agent in their constructions. The Indo-Islamic architecture avoided the use of human and animal figures. While the Hindu architecture had become too congested, the Indo-Islamic architecture introduced spaciousness, massiveness and breadth to it. While the previous structures used sculptures as means of decoration, the Indo-Islamic architecture used calligraphy as means of decoration. 
Arabesque method was also used for decoration. Arabesque meant the use of geometrical vegetal ornamentation and was characterized by a continuous stem with split regularly, producing a series of counterpoised leafy secondary stems. The secondary stems in turn split again and returned to merge with the main stem creating a decorative pattern. The architecture of this period heavily used the principles of geometry from decorative pattern to imbibing a sense of symmetry. The buildings had intricate jali works which signifies the importance of light in Islamic religion. An important feature of the architecture during this period was the use of water in the premises of the constructions in the form of courtyard pools, fountains and small drains. Water was used primarily for three purposes: religious purpose, to cool the premises and decorative purpose. The Islamic rulers introduced the charbagh style of gardening in which a square block was divided into four adjacent identical gardens. The architectures of these times also used the pietre dura technique for inlay of precious colored stones and gems into the walls for decoration. Another unique feature was the use of foreshortening technique in the buildings such that the inscriptions appear to be closer than they really are. difference between arcuate style and trabeate style the entrance in the trabeate style are characterized by the use of lintel whereas in the arcuate style they are characterized by the use of arches and domes tops in the trabeate style use the shikhar on the top of the temples they are generally conical or curvilinear whereas in the arcuate style the use of domes generally hemispherical on the top of the mosques is seen In the trabeate style minars were absent whereas in the arcuate style minars were present on the four corners of the mosques in the trabeate style stone was the major building material and was the primary component of all the constructions whereas in the accurate style brick lime plaster and mortar started to be used for the constructions architecture during delhi sultanate period during the period of delhi sultanate that is 1206 to 1526 ad architecture can be categorized into two broad categories imperial style that is patronized by the rulers of delhi and provincial style that is patronized by local rulers and fiefs imperial style the imperial style of architecture flourished under the various dynasties that ruled during this period Each ruler imparted certain flavors of his own but the broad stylization remained the same. Slave dynasty. The slave dynasty or the Ilbari dynasty remained in power from 1206 to 1290 AD. During this period, the style of architecture came to be known as the Mamluk style of architecture. During this period, most of the constructions were remodelings of the existing Hindu structures. They also started the erection of a number of monuments. Qutub Minar being a prime example, it is a five-story structure initiated by Qutbuddin Aybak who made only the ground floor. The next three stories were completed by Iltutmish and the fifth story was made by Feroz Shah Tughlaq. Other examples of this period are Quwwat ul Islam Mosque in the Qutb Minar premises which was converted from a Jain temple and Arai Din ka Chhopra in Ajmer Khilji dynasty 
They ruled from 1290 AD to 1320 AD and established the Seljuk style of architecture. The constructions of this period were marked by the use of red sandstone. Also, the prominence of arcuate style began from this period. Mortar began to be used prominently in all the constructions as a cementing agent. The examples of this style of architecture are Alai Darwaza by Alauddin Khilji and Siri Fort. Tughlaq Dynasty It was the crisis period for architecture during the Delhi Sultanate period. However, some construction works were still undertaken which used grey sandstone. During this period, the focus was more on strength of the building and so there was less emphasis on decoration. The constructions combined both arc and lentil method of entrance design. They also introduced a style of construction known as batter which was characterized by sloping walls to give more strength to the building. The examples of this architecture are cities of Tughlaqabad, Jahapanaha and Firozabad. Lodi Dynasty Under the Lodi Dynasty, architecture continued to take a back seat. Only tombs were commissioned during this period. However, one important feature of architecture during this period was the introduction of double domes. It consisted of a hollow dome inside the top dome. The reasons for the use of double domes were to give strength to the structure and to lower the inner height of the dome. The tombs built during this phase were hard and bare, without any lavish decorations. They were built in octagonal shapes with a diameter of roughly 15 meters. They were supported by a sloping veranda. Lodi Gardens, the city of Agra established by Sikandar Lodi are fine examples of this style of architecture. Provincial Schools of Architecture During this period, the Indo-Islamic style started to influence the local architectural styles as well. Bengal, Bijapur, Jaunpur and Mandu became important seats of architectural development. Bengal School from 1203 to 1573 AD the Bengal School of Architecture was characterized by its use of bricks and black marble. The mosques built during this period continued the use of sloping bangla roofs which was previously used for temples. The finest examples of this school are Kadam Rasul Mosque in Gore and Adina Mosque in Pandua. Jaunpur School from 1394 to 1479 AD it was patronized by Sharki rulers. Jaunpur became a center of great art and cultural activity. This style of architecture also came to be known as Sharki style and also avoided the use of minars as the Pathan style. A unique feature of the buildings here is the use of bold and forceful characters painted on huge screens in the center and side base of the prayer hall. The finest examples are Atala Mosque in Jaunpur. Malwa School from 1405 to 1569 AD. The cities of Dhar and Mandu in the Malwa Plateau became prominent seats of architecture. The most prominent feature of the buildings here was the use of different colored stones and marbles. The buildings had large windows which could be a result of European influence and were decorated by stylized use of arches and pillars. Even the stairs were used to enhance the aesthetics of the construction. 
However, minars were not used in this school of architecture. The Malwa school of architecture, also known as the Pathan school of architecture, is also one of the finest specimens of environmental adaptation of the period because of these features. First, the use of large windows made the buildings and rooms well ventilated. The pavilions were lightly arched which made them airy and allowed the buildings to remain cool during the heat. Artificial reservoirs known as bawlis were constructed in the premises for storage of water. Locally available materials were used. The use of batter system as introduced by Tughlaqs made the buildings strong and the finest examples of this architecture are Rani Rupmati Pavilion, Jahaj Mahal and Asharfi Mahal. Bijapur School from 1490 to 1656 AD Under the patronage of Adil Shah, Bijapur style or the Deccan style of architecture developed. He constructed a number of mosques, tombs and palaces which were unique in the use of three-arched facade and bulbous dome and were almost spherical with a narrow neck. He also introduced the use of cornices. A special feature of the Bijapur school was the treatment of its ceilings which were without any apparent support. Iron claps and a strong plaster of mortar were used to give strength to the buildings. The walls were decorated by rich carvings. The finest example of this architecture are Gol Gumbaj, the Muslim of Adil Shah in Bijapur or Vijaypura. Whispering galleries in India, they are made in such a manner that even whispers can be clearly heard in other parts of the gallery. The examples include Gol Gumbaj, Victoria Memorial and Golgar Granary in Pandipur. The Mughals were great patrons of art and architecture. Under them, architecture regained its place of importance as new buildings were built with great vision and artistic inspiration. Babur Babur undertook the construction of mosques in Panipat and Ruhilkhand, both constructed in 1526 AD. However, his reign was too short-lived to inspire any new style or technique. Homayu Homayu's reign was marked with constant power struggle against Sher Sahasturi, so he couldn't focus much on art and architecture. He led the foundation of a city named Dinipanaha but couldn't finish it. Persian style became prominent in the architecture of this period. Sher Shah During his brief reign, Sher Shah built few monuments. He built Kila-e-Kuhno Mosque of the Old Fort in Delhi. He built the famous Rohtas Fort in Pakistan and the Sher Shah Suri Masjid in Patna in Afghan style to mark his reign. His period is a transition from Lodi style to Mughal style of architecture. He also undertook the reconstruction and extension of an old Mauryan route and renamed it as Sadak-e-Azam, Great Road, which was later called as Grand Trunk Road. He ensured adequate presence of sarais and trees for travellers. Sher Shah Suri's tomb was built at his birthplace, Sesaram. It was made up of red sandstone and is situated inside a lake. The constructions under Sher Shah continued the traditions of the Delhi Sultanate period. After Akbar ascended the throne of Delhi in 1556, the golden period of Mughal art and architecture started. 
Akbar. Akbar took a keen interest in the development of art and architecture. The principal feature of the constructions during Akbar's reign was the use of red sandstone. He also introduced the use of Tudor arc, four-centered arc. Some of the prominent construction works undertaken during Akbar's reign are Agra Fort. It was one of the first constructions which started during the reign of Akbar. However, most of the structures present inside the fort were done during the reign of Shah Jahan. Some of the prominent buildings here are Moti Masjid by Shah Jahan, Diwan-e-Aam Hall of Public Audience by Shah Jahan, Diwan-e-Khas Hall of Private Audience by Shah Jahan, Jahangiri Mahal, Shish Mahal which is Turkish Bath. The gardens inside the fort are built using the charbagh style. During the reign of Akbar, more than 5000 women stayed in his harem inside this fort. Fatehpur Sikri, one of the highlights of Indo-Islamic architecture was the creation of a new capital city by Akbar at Fatehpur Sikri. It has been described as a frozen moment in history as the buildings here represent a unique blend of Hindu and Persian styles. Some of the important buildings inside the city are Buland Darwaza The imposing 40-meter red sandstone structure was built in 1576 AD to commemorate Akbar's victory over Gujarat. It is the highest gateway of the world. Salim Chishti's tomb was built in 1581 AD. It has beautiful jali work in white marble. It has arabesque patterns with inscriptions of Quranic verses on the walls. It is in the imperial complex which also has Buland Darwaza and Jama Masjid. It was further decorated by Jahangir in 1606 AD. Panch Mahal is a five-storied structure made of columns and is inspired by the concept of Persian Badgir wind catcher. Jodhabai's palace and Maryam Urzimani's palace, Mary of the Age, has beautiful interiors with Hindu motifs of bell and flowers. Ibadat Khana, Akbar used to meet the leaders of different religions here to have discussion. Pachisi Court, in the courtyard where Akbar is said to have played chess. Hiran Menar was built in memory of Akbar's favorite elephant named Hiran. It also served as lighthouse for travelers. It is uniquely designed as its exterior wall contains tusk-like spikes. Akbar also built a temple of Govind Dev in Vrindavan. Jahangir During the reign of Jahangir, architecture took a back seat as he focused more on paintings and other forms of art. However, he oversaw the construction of some noteworthy monuments including Akbar's tomb in Sikandra. Further, he developed a number of gardens during his reign, for example, the Shalimar Bagh in Kashmir. He also built the Moti Masjid at Lahore. During the reign of Jahangir, his wife Noor Jahan also undertook some major construction projects like the tomb of Atmaduddaula, father of Noor Jahan, being an excellent example. It was during this time that white marble became the chief building material, replacing red sandstone which had been used till now. The tomb of Atmaduddaula was the first Mughal work made completely of white marble. It also has some of the finest Pyatre Dura works. Tomb of Jahangir was constructed by his son Shah Jahan at Lahore. Shah Jahan Under Shah Jahan, Mughal architecture reached its climax. Some of his principal works are Taj Mahal. 
Taj Mahal is the finest specimen of Mughal architecture exhibiting the full range of grandeur and opulence. It was constructed in the memory of his wife Arjumand Banu Begum or Mumtaj Mahal. It had all the features of Mughal architecture including the use of calligraphy, Pietre Dura works for shortening technique, charpak style gardens and the use of water in the premises for decoration. Apart from this, some of the unique features of Taj Mahal are the jali work in Taj Mahal is lace like and is extremely fine. The carvings on the marble were low relief. Apart from Taj Mahal, Shah Jahan constructed a number of other monuments, gardens and buildings such as Red Fort in Delhi, Jama Masjid in Delhi, Shalimar Bagh in Lahore, city of Shah Jahanabad. Besides such large scale constructions, one of his best works was the construction of Peacock Throne that is one of the finest examples of metalwork during this period. Aurangzeb During the reign of Aurangzeb, Mughal architecture declined. Being a puritanical, he did not take an active interest in the pursuit of art and architecture. Although Aurangzeb commissioned the construction of Bibi ka Maqbara in memory of his wife Begum Rabia Uddurrani, it is situated in Aurangabad and is described as a poor imitation of Taj Mahal. During the Mughal period, two other styles of architecture developed in the region of Rajasthan and Punjab. Rajput style The Rajput constructions of the period were also influenced by the Mughal style but were unique in size and scope of their constructions. They generally undertook the building of imposing palaces and forts. Some of the unique features of Rajput architecture are as follows. They used the concept of hanging balcony that is jharoka which were constructed in all shapes and sizes. The cornices were built in the shape of an arc such that the shadow took the shape of a bow. Sikh style Sikh style of architecture developed in the region of modern day Punjab. It was heavily influenced by Mughal style and Rajput style of architecture. Some of the features of Sikh school are use of multiple chhatris or kiosks on the top of the construction, use of shallow cornices and onion dome. The buildings had fluted domes which were generally covered with brass and copper gills for decoration and support. The arches were decorated by the use of numerous foliations. For example, Sri Harmandir Sahib or Golden Temple constructed during 16th and 17th century. Awadh architecture. They mainly revolve around Lucknow and were built by the nawabs of Awadh during 18th and 19th century AD. It attempted to preserve Mughal traditions along with experimenting with variety of materials and innovative ideas. They built religious as well as secular structures. These structures were made mainly using mortar, not marble or sandstone. Mortar used was a mixture of brick dust, urad dal that is lentil, rice husk, tree gum, etc. The prominent structures of this time include Bada Imam Bada in Lucknow. Built in 1784, it comprises Asafi Mosque, Bhul Bhulaiya, and a step well with running water. Chota Imam Bada, Lucknow. Built in 1838, it serves as a mausoleum for Nawab Muhammad Ali Shah and his mother. Rumi Darwaza, the Turkish Gate in Lucknow. Built in 1784, it is situated between Bada and Chota Imam Bada and is believed to be named after Sufi mystic Jalaluddin Muhammad Rumi.
the birth of islam muhammad bin abdullah the founder of islam was born in 570 ad in mecca a city in which the kaaba an important religious shrine was located he is believed to be the last of the prophets of islam muhammad was born a posthumous child and his mother anna expired when he was 6 leaving him in the care of his grandfather muhalib Muhammad had to work hard to stay alive. He probably had very little schooling and could hardly read or write. When Muhammad was 8, his grandfather died and his uncle Abu Talib took care of him. He engaged Muhammad in his trade. Muhammad accompanied his uncle in his trips to places of business and trade. Thus he came in contact with the beliefs of both the Christians and the Jews. At the age of 25 he married a wealthy widow named Khadija who bore him four daughters. When Muhammad was 40 he was once meditating in a cave on Mount Hira 3 miles away from the Makkah. There it is said he had a vision the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him to recite in the name of God the creator he received revelations that were to become the four parts of the quran in the role of divine messenger muhammad was to retell the words he heard to the people of makka preach the existence of one god allah and denounce polytheism the new religion came to be called islam the followers of this religion were called muslims the muslims worship in a place called a mosque or masjid muhammad's popularity disturbed many people especially his enemies who thought him to be very dangerous and plotted to kill him so he fled with his family and friends to madina in 622 ad to continue his work here he was very successful the flight from makka to madina was called hijr in arabic islam the religion of submission islam is a religion of submission its followers called muslims are those who submit themselves to the will of allah allah is the arabic word for god islam itself means submission or surrender sources of islam the quran muslims believe that the quran is the last in the series of revelations sent to the world by god expressing his will for mankind the authorized compilation written in the classical arabic was prepared about 650 ad under uthman the third khalifa the quran has 114 surahs or chapters to muslims the quran is the word of allah the sunnah of the prophet the hadith is a reliably transmitted report of the practice and expel of the prophet which provide muslims with the basic rules for living a righteous life the law is called sharia central beliefs of islam nowhere in his teachings does muhammad call himself divine instead of being the son of god as christ is to christmas he is god's messenger chosen to spread god's word tauhid belief in one god god is the creator of the whole universe and absolute unity and power resides in god risalat belief in muhammad's prophethood muhammad was the last of the messengers of god akhirat 
belief in the hereafter there will be a last judgment when all humanity will be raised to life and appear before god to be judged the good and obedient shall go to heaven islam forbids manifestation of human and animal figures it values honesty chastity and charity it denounces gambling and consumption of alcohol and pork pride is a cardinal sin the five pillars of islam profession of faith there is no god but allah and muhammad is his prophet prayer five times a day a muslim must turn towards makkah and say his prayers called namaz fasting he must fast during the daylight hours of the ninth month called ramadan zakat giving a proportion of one's wealth that is 2.5% to the poor and needy the hajj at least once in his lifetime unless he is too sick or poor he must take a pilgrimage to mecca the three traditions after muhammad's death some felt that in the absence of male heir muhammad's closest male relatives ali that who was muhammad's son-in-law should succeed him however the candidate selected to succeed muhammad was abu bakr a gentle and pious man and muhammad's earliest supporter outside his immediate family abu bakr took the title of khalifa meaning successor the three traditions are the sunni they form the majority and more orthodox group they recognize the succession from muhammad to abu bakr to the next three caliphs the shiites they are the followers of ali muhammad's son-in-law they believe in 12 imams that is teachers who guide the faithful to paradise the subsects the sufis the ismailis and the wahhabis are important sects of islam mecca a pilgrim's excuse The Quran is the revelation from God of the world. The Arabic Quran expresses without fault the world of God. That is why it cannot be translated into any other language. It can only be paraphrased or interpreted. This is also the reason why calligraphy is so important in Islam. To make beautiful the word of God is an act of worship and thanksgiving. When Muslims pray they face the Kaaba in Mecca to find the direction in which to pray which is called the qibla they need a special compass the compass is an integral part of many modern prayer mats Muhammad was born in Mecca a city in which the Kaaba an important shrine was located set into the wall of the kaaba is the black stone which muslims believe fell from heaven as a sign of the first communication between god and human kind the spread of islam soon after muhammad's death the arabic began to conquer more and more lands under abu bakr who was muhammad's successor the new religion spread the leaders of the muslims were called caliphs Within a short span of 110 years they had conquered land from the Byzantine Empire on the northeast side of the Mediterranean all the way around the southern edge and far into Spain 
Islam is a missionary religion and Muslims traveled far and wide to spread the message of their religion and convert people to the new faith. Islam exploded under the world with the sudden force of a desert whirlwind. With the cry of Allahu Akbar, God is great, ringing across the sands, Arabian armies began to sweep through Syria and Mesopotamia in 633 AD. By 643 AD, they had conquered Persia, Egypt and taken the holy city of Jerusalem. In 674 AD, they were at the gates of Constantinople. By the early 700s, Islam banners fluttered in the wind from Spain in the west to India in the east. Arab Conquest of Sindh The political condition of India at the time of Arab invasion was pitiable. India was divided into many small kingdoms and they were busy in mutual fights. Thus, in the absence of political unity in India, Sindh was ransacked and defeated. However, it was during 711 to 713 AD that Sindh and Multan were conquered by Muhammad bin Qasim, nephew of Al-Hazaz, the Arab governor of Basra. The Arabs had to fight fierce battles with the forces of Sindh's ruler Raja Dahir at Debal, Rewar and Brahmanabad. Though the Arabs conquered these places, they failed to retain their political power in that region for long. They being unskilled in the art of government left the administration of the conquered country in the hands of the natives. Also, the Rajputs were too strong for them. Sikhism is the world's fifth largest religion with more than 25 million Sikhs worldwide. The Sikh Gurus, known as spiritual guides or teachers, established the religion. Guru Nanak was the first Guru and was born in the 15th century in the Punjab region of India. Sikhs believe in the oneness of all beings and the equality of everyone. Guru Nanak taught that one must honor God by honoring others and the earth that is God's creation. Nine more gurus succeeded Guru Nanak and continued to spread his teachings across the world. They are Guru Angad Dev Ji, Guru Amar Das Sahib Ji, Guru Ram Das Ji, Guru Arjan Dev Ji, Guru Har Gobind Ji, Guru Har Rai Ji, Guru Har Krishn Ji, Guru Tegh Bahadur Ji and Guru Gobind Singh Ji. There are three core pillars of Sikhism formalized by Guru Nanak and these are Vandh Chakko, sharing with others, helping those in need as well as participating as part of a community. A spirit of giving, sharing and caring for one another is central to Sikhism. Kirat Karo, earning, making a living honestly without exploitation or fraud and speaking the truth at all times. Naam Japna, that is meditating on God's name to live a life of decency and humility. The Guru Granth Sahib is a collection of lessons from the ten Gurus. It is written in Punjabi and is greatly respected by all Sikhs as the living word of God. It is kept on a raised platform under a canopy in the Sikh place of worship. The verses of Guru Granth Sahib are written in poetic verse and are intended to be sung. Singing is a crucial component of Sikhism. Guru Nanak himself was known to sing his teachings as he travelled across South Asia on foot. The hymns of the Gurus are known as Gurbani, the Guru's word. The Sikh place of worship is called a Gurdwara, which means gateway to the Guru. 
a gurdwara is any building where the guru granth sahib is kept in sikhism a langar is the community kitchen of a gurudwara which serves meals to all free of charge regardless of religion caste gender economic status or ethnicity people sit on the floor and eat together and the kitchen is maintained and serviced by sikh community volunteers sikhs believe that one's form on earth is only a temporary vessel for the eternal soul thus the death of the physical body is a natural part of the life cycle while the soul remains sikhs believe in reincarnation meaning death is not an end but merely the progression of the soul on its journey towards god the sikh community of men and women is known as the khalsa which means the community of the pure in order to become a sikh and join the khalsa people need to follow the 5 k's the 5 k's taken together symbolize that the sikh who wear them has dedicated themselves to a life of devotion and submission to the guru the 5 k's are the five physical symbols worn by sikhs who have been initiated into the khalsa the 5 k's are kesh that is uncut hair kada a steel bracelet kangha a wooden comb kachha also spelled kach that is a cotton underwear kirpan steel sword initially the mughal sikh relations were very cordial but the execution of guru arjan dev on jahangir's orders became a cause of dispute some scholars like kushwan singh looked at this incident as the first martyrdom of the sikhs guru hargobind set a trend of militancy and organized an army of his own at ramdaspur for resistance the guru transformed the sikh cult into sikh corps in which the adherents would act as the saint soldiers or soldier saints who would attain heaven guru hargobin was the first one to grit the two swords as the symbol for sikhs which symbolized the spiritual that is peri and temporal that is meri authority and represented the combination of the bhakti and shakti he constructed the akal takht and Lohagarh fort as symbols of his temporal authority to conduct daily business and defense the next two gurus guru har rai and guru har kishan were in constant conflict and were eventually detained by aurangzeb guru teg bahadur was also one of those in line for establishing the sovereign authority of the sikhs in the dominions he was also in conflict with the mughal emperor aurangzeb and was put to death in 1675 in delhi The last physical guru was Guru Gobind Singh after whose death the authority of the gurus was transferred to Guru Granth and Guru Panth. Guru Gobind Singh also founded the Sikh warrior community Khalsa who were markedly different from the non-Khalsa Sikhs who came to be called Sehsdari Sikhs. They constituted the Nanak Panthis, the Bhallas and the Udasis. If you want to know anything about any other religion in India Please leave it in the comment box so that I can come back with it. If you have liked the video, please like, share and subscribe. Thank you.